Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. and open up to the Gospel of Luke. We started last week uh, a journey through Luke's Gospel that will take us about a year or so to, to get through as we reacquaint ourselves with the life and ministry of Jesus. Looking forward to our journey together. And we started last week uh, with the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, a very uh, interesting, very powerful story. And this morning we we're on very familiar ground as we're looking at the story of, of, the Gabriel, of Gabriel coming to, to Mary and announcing the birth of Jesus. This is a great Great story. So Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 is where we're spending our time together. So go ahead and be finding that in your Bible. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is really easy to find. Just go to the New Testament and find the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament. Go ahead and find that with me, if you will. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay, because in the seat before you, down in the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Luke chapter 1 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 1, 26 through 38. We'll read that together in just a moment. I know many of you know, um, if you know me, you know that I like to run. I do quite a bit of running. And over the years, I have ran quite a few half marathons. I've never run a full marathon because that's a different level of commitment. And I don't have the time or the desire for that level of commitment. But over the years, I've, I've ran a lot of half marathons and have enjoyed doing that. And, and so I was reading this past week about a gentleman. Uh, his, he's, he goes by Uncle Chin. He's a Chinese man. He just finished a, a half marathon earlier in the month. And, and I don't know if you know this or not, if you're a runner, if you know anything about marathons or half marathons, a marathon is 26.2 miles. That's a lot of time running, right? Half marathon is half of that, 13.1 miles. And, and so, so worldwide, the average, the average time it takes someone to complete a full marathon, 26.2 miles, is about four hours and 31 minutes. That's a lot of time on your feet, right? Four hours, and that's a, that's, a, that's a long morning of running. So 26 miles, four hours, 31 minutes, that's the average time. Uncle Chen, uh, he is 50 years old. So, so, you know, he's a few decades older than me. And so he, he did uh, a full marathon beginning of November, and he ran that marathon in three hours and 25 minutes. Not bad for a 50-year-old man, right? So about an hour less than, than what the average time is. What was so fascinating about Uncle Chin and his ability to run a full marathon in three hours and 25 minutes is how he ran. I brought a picture. He chain-smoked the whole way through. 
cigarette in his mouth and he would smoke a cigarette. That would be done, put another in his mouth. He went through a couple packs of cigarettes during that, that three hour run. Can you believe that? Now, a couple things. One, that is really dumb, right? But two, that's really amazing. I mean, think about it. I mean, some of you, you don't smoke cigarettes and, and for you to run a hundred yards, you'd be huffing and puffing. Can you imagine three hours and 25 minutes smoking cigarettes all along the way? But he did, and, and all, not only that, this was not the first time that he's done it. He's ran several full marathons and every time he's run a full marathon, he's smoked all along the way. It's starting to make some people mad because of the secondhand smoke and they want him banned from all future marathons, but hey, it works for him, I guess, right? But he's not the man that you would expect to run a marathon in three hours and 25 minutes, not smoking along the way. See, there's lots of people that you know that do some things, right, that you don't expect for them to do, right? For most of us in this room, what you probably did not expect was for Carolina to beat Tennessee and Clemson, right? Yeah, I know, I know. And, and cheer all you want because this is the only chance you get to cheer because you know it's probably not gonna happen again. That's just not what we expect from Carolina. Congratulations, but you still stink. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is. And so, so, so this is just, I know, I know. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. So, but it is, it is a Christmas miracle. Don't deny it, it's a Christmas miracle. But, but these are just things you don't expect. And if you think about it in all seriousness, the Christmas story is a story that we don't expect, especially if you were Zachariah, you wouldn't expect it. And especially if you were Mary, you would not expect it. You see, when we read the Christmas story, a lot of you are like me. Some of you in this room, you grew up in church and you've heard the Christmas story a million times. And, and, and for some of you in this room, when you hear the Christmas story, it, it, it doesn't blow you away anymore. It doesn't amaze you anymore because you're so familiar with it. But the way that Luke tells this story, he tells it in such a way that we are supposed to stand back and say, wow, how in the world could God do something like this? We are supposed to stand in awe of the Christmas story as the God of all creation comes to us through a virgin teenage girl. It's an amazing story. You see, see, Luke is, is a unique gospel. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke and Matthew are the only gospels that tell us about the birth of Jesus. Matthew's gospel doesn't tell us the birth story of John the Baptist. Luke's gospel does. And Luke's gospel also tells us the story of the birth of Jesus. But when Luke tells us about the story of the birth of Jesus, it's fascinating because he tells us about the birth of Jesus from Mary's perspective. And how Mary responded when the angel Gabriel came to her. And it's just so unexpected. And it's that story that we're supposed to stand back and say, wow, this is absolutely amazing. And so what I want for you this morning and what I want for me as we again recount this very familiar story is I want for us to, to recapture the sense of awe as to what God did some 2,000 years ago when he, when he sent his son into this world. I want us to be in awe because I think that when we are in awe of what God did, 
that Christmas 2,000 years ago, when we're in awe of what God did, we'll respond in a couple of ways. And what I want to show you from this text this morning is how we should respond to God when we stand in absolute amazement of who He is and what He's done. So take your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Listen to what the Bible says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply, deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man. And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you, Father, uh, that we can gather to worship and to hear your word proclaimed. And Father, what I desire to see in the lives of my brothers and sisters in this room this morning, I desire to see them in awe of you. Wonderstruck by the God of all creation who would choose to save us in such an extraordinary way. And Father, the story of the incarnation that Christ would come to us in such a meek and lowly way. May we stand in awe of the Christmas story this year. And Father, as we stand in awe of you, may it cause us to respond to you in ways that, that show that we're devoted to you with our worship. And so, Father, we're, we're, we're trusting now that in these moments you're going to speak to us. As you speak to us, help us to listen carefully to what you're saying to us with hearts that are ready to surrender to your word and obey your word. And ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So I need you to know what Luke is accomplishing in these first couple chapters. What Luke is doing is he's setting for us up He's setting up for us a contrast between Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary. I mean, their stories could not be any more different. Talk about unexpected. Now, when you think about where we were last week with the story of Zachariah and the angel Gabriel appearing to Zachariah. Yes, it's a miraculous story. Yes, in a lot of ways, it's an unexpected story. But even though it's an unexpected story, come on now, in some ways, what happens in the life of Zechariah is somewhat expected. If you are going to send a significant son to a couple, a son that is going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, it kind of makes some sense that John will be born to Zachariah and Elizabeth. I mean, it makes some sense, doesn't it? I mean, after all, uh, they were a priestly couple. Zachariah was a priest. They were both born of the lineage of Aaron the priest. I mean, it makes sense that, that, that God would, would send 
John the Baptist to a couple like this. They were righteous. The Bible tells us that. But not only were they a righteous couple, a, a priestly couple, think about where Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple. Well, that makes sense. If there's gonna be an important announcement about an important child, the temple in Jerusalem, it makes sense that Gabriel would show up there. That's a pretty significant place to announce the birth of a child. Elizabeth is barren. Now, I know it's quite miraculous that, that um, she's able to have a child in her old age, but let's be honest, this isn't the first time we've heard this story. God has given barren women children before. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? And so there's something familiar about this story and, and something about the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth that let's just be quite honest, we can get our brains around it just a little bit because it, it makes some sense that God would send John to a priestly couple. He would announce it in Jerusalem, in the temple, that a barren woman would give birth. I mean, this all sounds like it makes some sense to us. But then you come over to the story of Mary, it doesn't make much sense. It's completely different. I mean, Luke picks up on it right there in verse 26. Look at what he says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, let me show you the map. And some of you know this because you've looked in the back of the Bible before and you've seen your maps in the back of your Bible. But just remember where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem's way down here in Judea, right? Nazareth is way up here around the Sea of Galilee. And what's so interesting about Nazareth is that Luke is a Gentile. He's not a Jewish person, and Luke is writing to Gentiles. A Gentile person would have no idea where Nazareth was because it was in the middle of nowhere. You know what Nazareth did not have? They didn't have a stoplight. You know what Nazareth did not have? They did not have a Dollar General. If you don't have a Dollar General, you are in the middle of nowhere. Dollar generals pop up everywhere, right? But there was no dollar general in Nazareth. In the time that Jesus was born, the town of Nazareth, it had a population of about 500 people. It really was the middle of nowhere. Do you see? It's not Jerusalem. You expect the angel Gabriel to give a big announcement in Jerusalem. But Nazareth? In fact, you probably know this. In John chapter 1, Nathaniel, when, 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 when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he said, really, no, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. It's the middle of nowhere. But not only is it the middle of nowhere, look at what the Bible says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, underline that phrase, house of David, because you know that's significant. We'll get to that in a moment. But Gabriel appears to a young woman. And Bible scholars debate her age. We don't know how old Mary was, but, but a lot of Bible scholars believe that at that time, it would be very probable that this woman who was not even married yet, who was engaged to be married to Joseph, it was quite probable that she was only between the ages of 12 to 14 years old. Get your mind around that. And you know what she is? She's a virgin. And you know what virgins don't have? Virgins don't have babies. Do you know what you have? I mean, that, come on now, that, that doesn't happen. You see, this story is different. It's one thing for an older barren woman to have a baby. It's quite a bit different for a 12, 13, 14 year old virgin to be pregnant. 
That just doesn't happen. And so what Luke is doing, he's showing us the contrast. Yes, John the Baptist is significant, but Jesus, check this story out. This is even more significant. And look what the text goes on to say. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28, and the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now, you remember when Zechariah saw the angel Gabriel? He was afraid. And now you read when Mary sees the angel Gabriel that she is greatly troubled. But why is she troubled? Now, if I see an angel standing before me, I'm probably gonna be greatly troubled as well. But notice why she's greatly troubled. She's greatly troubled because of what he says. He made a statement. Greetings, O favored one. Now, in just a moment, as you read through the text, Gabriel's also going to say to her, what? You have found favor in the eyes of God. You might want to circle that word favor in your Bible because that word favor is the same word that's often translated in your Bible as grace. Think about it. Out of all the women in the world, in all the places in the world, God comes and delivers a message through the angel Gabriel to this 12, 13, 14-year-old teenage girl and says to her, you're going to have a child, a baby, a significant baby. This, my friend, is unexpected. That God in his gracious providence for for reasons only known to him and his sovereignty, God chooses for this young woman to be the the mother of his only begotten son. Look what else the text says though. It gets even more interesting. Gabriel talks about this son that was going to be born. Listen, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he'll be called, listen, the son of the most high. If you come down and you look at, at, at verse 35, therefore the Holy One, to be born will be called the son of God. So twice you have this reference that this child will be born. He's not like John the Baptist. This child is the son of God, the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. You understand what's going on here, don't you? Because if you're like me, you remember the promise that God made to David. Years prior, where God told David that someday there would be a king from his own lineage that would sit on his throne forever, a Messiah. And now born to this virgin was going to be a son who would sit on the throne forever. The Messiah was going to be born to Mary. Joseph, the one that Mary will eventually marry, he's of the house of David. It's amazing. It's unexpected. But then look what the text says. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man. Well, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Now you think about it, you think about it. Remember last week, Zachariah asked the question too. When, when, when the angel Gabriel told Zachariah that his wife was gonna give birth to a son and they were gonna name him John. You remember Zachariah's question, are you sure about this, God? I'm old. My wife's really, really old. This kind of stuff don't happen. I need some kind of sign. 
And what you saw in that passage was, was Zachariah asked a question of what, church? A question of unbelief. There's no way this can happen. You remember how Gabriel responded to that question. You ain't gonna talk till the child's born. This question that Mary's asked is different. This is not a question of unbelief. How do I know? Because the angel answers the question. You see, I think that what Mary is asking, she's asking a legitimate question, a question of wonder, a question of awe. And and let me just stop right here. We're gonna come back to this in a moment, but it is okay. It is more than okay to ask God questions. It is more than okay to be inquisitive, to to wonder, to want to know why. That's okay to ask. This isn't a question of unbelief. This is a question of wonder. And what Gabriel does is he answers the question. Look at what else the Bible says. You come down, everybody stood with me. Look at what it says. Verse 35, the angel replied to her. This is so good. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born we call the son of God. And your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. When I read that phrase, I, I can't help but think about Genesis chapter one. Do you remember Genesis chapter one? The Spirit of God hovering over the void. And God speaks and creates everything. That same spirit of God is now going to hover over the womb of a 12, 13, 14 year old virgin. That same spirit of God that, that, that hovered over this earth hovering over the woman. And think about this, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And everything was made for him and by him and without him, nothing was made. That when, when God created the heavens and the earth, God the Father was there, God the Spirit was there and God the what? God the Son was there. In Colossians chapter one, Paul is going to say that everything was made by Christ. The son of God was active in creating this universe. Now the one who created all is going to be where? Placed in the the womb as a fetus of of a teenage girl. Do you see? And this one placed in the fetus of a teenage girl is going to be born and live and then die and then rise again. And the one who created all is going to bring forth what church? A new creation. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. I love that word overshadow because when I think about that word overshadow, I can't help but think about the temple where where John the Baptist, his birth was announced to Zechariah. I can't help but think about the tabernacle in the Old Testament that preceded the temple. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but do you remember that there were times in the Old Testament where you read about what? The presence of God descending on the tabernacle as what? A cloud overshadowing the tabernacle. The presence of God in that place. Now here you are in Luke chapter one in a 12, 13, 14 year old virgin in the middle of nowhere in a place where there's not even a dollar general. The presence of God 
overshadows her womb. And placed within her womb is the begotten Son of God. Do you see? Luke wants you this morning to hear this story and stand back and say, that's amazing. Wow. Luke wants you to be in awe of what took place in Nazareth some 2,000 years ago. And just as an aside, before we move further in the story, I just want you to know that this virgin birth that Luke describes and also Matthew describes as well, this virgin birth is significant. You're going to come across people that will say to you, no, that didn't happen. The virgin birth isn't significant. That, that's not possible. But let me just remind you why, just real quick, just for a moment, let me remind you why the virgin birth of Jesus is essential for us to believe, essential to our faith. Just, just check this out real quick. One, the virgin birth is a fulfillment of prophecy. In Matthew chapter one, when Matthew tells about the virgin birth, he quotes from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. In Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, Isaiah made a prophecy that says something like this. Here's a sign for you. A virgin will give birth to a son and you'll call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter one, right? Matthew, the gospel writer is saying, Jesus is that one that Isaiah prophesied about. And so the virgin birth, it is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Also, it's a reminder that Jesus's birth was miraculous. Well, no duh, but just understand that, that we need to know that what took place in Mary's womb, it was supernatural that God did this. Or think about this. It's a reminder that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. That, the, that, that God placed his son as a fetus in Mary's womb. In the womb of Mary was the God man, fully man, fully God at the same time. Or think about this. It's a reminder that Jesus had no sin nature. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Sinners beget sinners. We have all inherited a sin nature from our father, Adam. Sinners beget sinners. But Jesus is the only begotten son of the father. He had no inherited sin nature. Now, we're not saying that Mary was sinless. That, that's not the conversation. What we are saying is that Jesus is the only begotten of the father. He did not inherit a sin nature. You see? And so he lived a perfect life for us. The virgin birth matters. It matters that we believe that, that, that God sent his angel Gabriel to Mary some 2,000 years ago to announce this miraculous birth to a young virgin. It matters that we believe that, you see. And it matters that today that you and I consider this story and we simply say, wow, this is amazing. And let me tell you why. Because your heart and my heart, our hearts are hardwired to chase after amazement. You want to be amazed. You want to stand in awe. For those of you who are Carolina fans, in all seriousness, you stood in awe the last two weeks as you saw your Gamecocks beat Tennessee and Clemson. But let me just remind you again who the national champions still are, right? <laughs> but, 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 but I remember, I remember last January being in my home the last time Georgia had won a national championship, I was two years old. 
in the bed of my house, and I even that night put on my Georgia onesie. I got out my, my, my grandmother, my grandmother, God rest her soul, made this Georgia Bulldog quilt for me when I was just a little bitty kid. Had that quilt out, had my onesie on, and I watched in wonder as Georgia took down Alabama and won the championship. That was a great night, a night that as a Carolina fan, you'll never experience, but it was a great night nonetheless, right? I know, it's a, I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop now, I'm gonna stop now. But all that to say, all that to say, it was a night of wonder and amazement. But here we are a year later. I think Georgia won the national championship again, but here's reality. But listen, listen, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. It could very well be that Georgia at some point over the next few weeks is gonna let me down. And you know what's gonna happen when they let me down? I'm not gonna be so much amazed by them anymore. Do you follow me? Your heart tends to chase after things that amaze you for a season and then let you down. You chase after wealth. Man, I could just have. And then that pursuit lets you down. You chase after a particular relationship and that person lets you down. You chase after this, you chase after that. And those things you chase after for a season, they hold your attention. For a season, they give you some amazement. For a season, you stand in awe of it, but then ultimately it lets you down. But here's reality. And here's what Luke, the gospel writer, wants us to know that this God who sent his son into the world, who, who this Virgin Mary gave birth to, this God, you can always stand in wonder and amazement of him because there has never been a time in your life, nor will there ever be a time in your life that this God who loves you will let you down. You can always stand in awestruck wonder of who he is and what he has done. He is worth you standing back and saying, wow, my God is absolutely amazing. But the reality is, the reality is now, come on now, the reality is some of us in this room, we've lost our wonder of the one who is all wonderful because we've wandered away from him. Do you see? And so here, I think what the text is teaching us this morning is that for all of us in this room, what we need to do is we need to look at what God has done with awestruck wonder. And I think the way that we begin this morning to recapture that sense of wonder of God is one, we ask questions of wonder. It's so good. Zechariah asked a question in disbelief. Mary asked a question in wonder. God, you know I'm a virgin. You're gonna to have to give me a little more information. And you know what? It's good to ask those kinds of questions because here's what I'm convinced of, church. Now, come on, come in real close. I, I need you to hear this. Some of us in this room are not inquisitive enough about our God. You come to a service like this and you hear someone like me talk over and over again, but you don't ask questions for yourself. You don't take the time to get around a group of followers of Jesus and open up the Bible and say, hey, let's just ask God to reveal himself to us. Let's just ask God to teach us more about himself. And can I just tell you, the greatest growth in my life as a follower of Jesus has been in a circle with other followers of Jesus with the Bible open just asking questions. What does it mean that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What does it mean that God has given us free choice, but at the same time, we're predestined? Those hard questions. What does it mean, right, that God is all loving? Why does God 
and his sovereignty allow us to go through hard times? Those questions are good to ask. And when I begin to, to, to dig in and ask those kinds of questions within the, within the body of Christ and we begin to dialogue about those things, I can tell you, my friend, just from experience, the number of times I've walked away from a Bible study or walked away from a time in God's Word with other friends and I've walked away in awe of God because I was willing with other believers to get into the Word of God and ask questions. God, help us to know you. Will you show yourself to me in your word and asking those questions has grown me. So never be afraid to ask questions of wonder. And I'm, I'm telling you this morning, I think for some of us, we don't ask enough questions. Think about this. Ask questions of wonder and remember grace. Now I know that's the kind of the Sunday school answer, remember grace, but see again what's going on in the text. Greetings, oh favored one. Mary, you found favor in the eyes of God. Twice, twice in the text, we find out that Mary has received what? Grace. And so have you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've received the same grace that Mary did some 2,000 years ago because God has come to you. He's opened your eyes to the truth of his word. He has saved you by his son, Jesus Christ. You were on your way to an eternity in hell, but God stepped in and he saved your soul, not because of anything that you've done, but solely as an act of his goodness and his grace. Remember grace, because when you begin to remember the grace that you've been shown, how can you not stand in awe of the God that has saved you? Do you see? Oh, my friend, what Luke is telling us this morning is to stand back. And look at God with awestruck wonder. Because when you look at God with awestruck wonder, here's what's going to happen. Watch this. You're going to surrender to God in courageous faith. I love how this story ends. Look what it says. You, you see that, that Gabriel has this conversation with Mary, announces the birth of Jesus. This, this young virgin asks a question of wonder, how is this going to happen? And the, the, the picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon her. And then you come down in verse 37, Gabriel says to her this wonderful statement, for nothing will be impossible with God. You think it's impossible for a virgin to become pregnant? Just watch, right? And in verse 38, Mary says, see, I am the Lord's servant. Circle that word servant. Because that word servant in your Bible is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses so many times in his letters when he writes, I'm a servant of Christ. It's, it's the Greek word that's also translated sometimes as the word slave. I'm a slave to you, God. What does a slave do for his or her master? Whatever his or her master says to do. I'm your servant, said Mary. I love this statement. May it happen to me as you have said. And the angel left her. You see, when, when Zachariah, notice the contrast. Luke is showing us a contrast. When Zachariah was confronted by the angel Gabriel, Zachariah responded in the moment in disbelief. Mary, on the other hand, responds in full surrender. May it be, Lord, in my life, whatever you say. And to be honest with you, when 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 you read that statement, this statement sounds a lot like what her son that she would give birth to, Jesus, would say some years later when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm surrendered to your will. You see, 
And Mary, she makes the statement of surrender, probably at the time not having a clue as to how this baby that she was going to give birth to would absolutely complicate her life. A virgin giving birth? What's going to happen when people find out this baby isn't Joseph's child? And then watching this child grow up and seeing him, right? Seeing him mocked by others, seeing him rejected. And then this Mama Mary being at the foot of the cross, watching as her son was crucified. See, Mary didn't know how this was going to complicate her life. But then the victory of seeing her son come back from the dead, knowing that he came back from the dead for her. You see? But what other response could Mary give in that moment when she stood in awe of God because of Gabriel's message? What else could she say? But God, let your will be done in my life. Now, I just want you to understand this morning as we begin to close our time together that surrender to God, surrender is what God is after in your life. What God is after in your life is, is you saying those words to him, not my will, but your will be done. I am your servant. And I just want you to know that surrender to God, it is far more than completing ministry tasks. Because I think for some of us, we think the essence of the Christian faith is what I do for the church. If I've, if I've served in the nursery, man, I, I did my job. If I sang in the band, I, I did my job. If I volunteered over here for this, I did my job. If I, if I you know, was a part of a life connection group, I did my job. But here's reality. You can serve in the nursery. You can sing in the band. You can be a part of a life connection group and still not live a life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ because a life of surrender isn't necessarily simply completing ministry tasks. Instead, a life of surrender, now watch this, is giving up control of my life. It's having that open-handed kind of life where you say to God, my, my hands are open to you. You take from me whatever you want to take from me for your glory. If you want to take my comforts, if you want to take my stuff, if you want to take me out of this place and put me somewhere else, you take from me whatever you want to take from me. My hands are wide open to you and you give me whatever you want to give me. That's surrender. It's an open hand life where, you're, where your yes to God is always on the table. Now watch this. It is giving up control of your life and it's willing to have your life complicated for the sake of the kingdom. Because you know, like I know, that God's kingdom is far greater than your kingdom, than what you want, than what you're trying to get out of life. And so you say to God, my hands are open. Even if that means you have to complicate my life, to accomplish your purpose, then go ahead. And so here's what that looks like. It looks like some families in our church who over the years have felt the call of God on their lives to foster children in their homes. That's surrender. That's complicated. To bring in children into your home that come from who knows what kind of background. Here's what it looks like. There have been families from our church over the years who have left Northwood, who've left Charleston, who have left this country to go give their lives on the mission field in a different context. That's an open-handed life, God, I surrender. It looks like what some of our faith fam in our faith family are doing right now. I think about um, 
Ed and Bethany, who are over at Gethsemane Baptist Church this morning, and their two precious daughters who love our church, whose children are very involved in our children's ministry. Ed and Bethany have been very involved in our children's ministry. But three or four months ago, said, Tommy, we'll go over there for several months and try to help them start children's ministry. And it's been slow going. They've opened their hands up. They've said, God, they said, God, if that means you take us away from Northwood, take us away for this season so we can be a part of your kingdom work over here to help this church to grow again. I think about Jay, one of our student ministers, who this morning is preaching at Gethsemane. He's been preaching at Gethsemane for what now? Three, four months? On top of that, he's still one of our student ministers here every Sunday evening and every Wednesday night. And on top of that, he's got a full-time job as a hospice chaplain. Over the last three or four months, every single Sunday, he's been at that church preaching. Because several months ago, I said, Jay, I, th I think you'd be a good match for this church in this season to help them. And it'll be a great help for us at Northwood to help them if you go over there and preach. And open-handedly, he said, yes, if that's what God wants, that's what I'll go do. Now think about in this room, how much I love you. And, and the impact this church has made on my life. Now think about in this room, the impact this church has had on you. I know most of you in this church, I hope all of you, but at least most of you, you really love this church. Open-handed for some of you, just to keep on with the Gethsemane example, open-handed for some of you is here's what we need. We need three or four families that would be willing to say, we're ready to go. Because we believe that God wants to help a church like Gethsemane live again. We need three or four families to say, we will go and spend the next year over at Gethsemane to pour ourselves in that church to help them live again. I don't want to let anybody go because I'm a selfish pastor, I'll be honest with you. Right? But for the sake of the kingdom in that area around Cane Bay, there needs to be a gospel thriving church. And there are some of you in this room this morning that you know it. God is calling you to take a step of faith, even if that step of faith means you leave this church family for a year or so to go plant yourself in a church that right now is very unhealthy to help that church live again. You see, that's surrender. Surrender is saying to God, God, because of who you are and what you've done for me, I'm willing to have my life complicated for your kingdom because it ain't gonna be easy to bring in foster children. It ain't gonna be easy to leave this context and go serve on the mission field. It ain't gonna be easy to go to a place like Gethsemane when I'm so rooted in this church. It's not gonna be easy. Whatever that call on, on your life is that God is calling you to, it's not always easy. But here's what you know, because you see it in Mary's story, you see it in, in, in scripture. It is so what, church? It is so worth it to open your hands up to God and say to God, wherever you lead, I'll go. My hands are open. Give me what you wanna give me. Take from me what you wanna take from me. Just use me for the sake of your kingdom because I am your servant. What a story. What a story of a God who does the impossible that so impresses the heart of a teenage girl that she's willing to say, I'm your servant. Do what you want in my life. And I hope that the Christmas story so impresses your heart that you're willing to look at God and say, God, you are so amazing. I have no other choice but to be your servant. May it be done in my life as you will. As we end our time together this morning,
Maybe you're in this room and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to call you to believe. Believe that 2,000 years ago, a virgin gave birth to a child and that child would grow up and then go to a cross and die the death that you deserve. He would pay the penalty of your sin. He would suffer the punishment that you are due. And he would rise from the dead three days later to defeat sin and death, to give you the gift of life abundant and eternal. And this morning, if you repent from your sins, if you acknowledge that you're a sinner and repent and choose to turn to him by faith, he will give you life abundant and eternal. He'll forgive you all of your sins and he'll make you new. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, we'd love for you to give your life to him in surrender. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. As, as we sing a song, an invitation together, I just wanna invite you to get up and to go to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there who's ready to pray with you and to help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a number on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number and someone will reach out to you real soon and today help you begin a relationship with Jesus. But let today be the day of your salvation if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, what God is calling you to this morning is a life of surrender as you stand in awe of him. And maybe this morning, you know what it is. I don't, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and the Holy Spirit knows what it is. He knows exactly, he knows exactly what his will for your life is. He knows exactly how he's leading you. He knows exactly that next step of faith that he wants you to take. And for some of you in this room this morning, it's just time to open your hands and say, God, take from me what you want to take. Give me what you want to give me. My yes is on the table. I'm ready to take that step of faith. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it is uh, committing to the next year at Gethsemane. Maybe it's something else. I have no idea. But I want you to respond to God this morning with your yes. May your will be done in my life as you say. Surrender to him this morning. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time to be together to worship. I thank you for the power of your word. And Father, what a gift it is to be able to study your word, to, to read it and to read these amazing stories of how you were at work in the lives of ordinary people. And Father, to think that the same grace you showed to Mary some 2,000 years ago, you showed to us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are highly favored ones. And think about the response that Mary had is the same response you want us to have. May your will be done in our lives. And Father, I, I, here's what I know. I know that in this room right now, there's someone here who's never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray today that that person would surrender to Christ by faith. They would trust you as Lord. When we have this time of invitation, I pray that person would move to one of these crosses or come down front and confess their need for a savior. And here's what I also know. I know that there are people in this room that are struggling because they know it. They sense your call on their lives. They know you're calling them to take a big step of faith, but they've been hesitant, even scared. Father, help us to overcome that fear this morning and to know that there is nothing better and to live our lives in the center of your will. And so, Father, as you're calling us to respond this morning, I pray that we'll respond in faith and surrender and ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. You rise to your feet as a time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.